Joel Osteen, welcome to The Herd Mentality. Thanks for your time. It's being blessed so you can be a blessing. Very kind of you to say. Firstly, let's discuss your credentials. You are the leader of the... Ministry of Integrity. Gotcha. Now, you're often interviewed about your finances, so today I really wanted to focus on your caring humanist side as well as the charitable work you do. Now, as... It's somebody that talks about money all the time. No, 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 no. no. That's not the focus here. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's a time and a place to discuss money. Yes, I agree. Money is my goal. Ultimately, mine too. Okay, I understand. But you also primarily identify as a humanist. Oh, I don't like that term. Um, that's not what it says on my show notes here. God's going to make me rich. Right. You seem fixated on the topic. Well, I think he wants you to be rich in your spirit. Oh, I see. So not financially. In America, in a sense, we're all rich. Understood. So can we finally move on from the topic of the money? I specifically stay away because people are already skeptical. Hmm. Very well. Let's discuss the people who attend your church. You know, they're sitting there with... With no running water, with no electricity, living in slums. So what do they get in return for their loyalty? You're wealthy when you have your health. You're wealthy when you have people in your life to love. That's a nice sentiment. A lot of people that come, they don't have a lot of money to give. And you're prepared to take it. But the conversation has returned once again to money. Off air, you mentioned that you managed to disprove Einstein's theory of general relativity by calculating pi to the 20 billionth digit. This is really exciting stuff. We're responsible for the money people have given. Still talking about money. I mean, Victoria and I have never dreamed we would be able to support orphanages. Of course. Well, you forced me into it. Recently, $600,000 was stolen from your organization after a Sunday service. That was a normal amount for a Sunday. It's Overall, it's more than that. Seems like a lot. What tax return did you file with the IRS last year? The church brings in about $80 million to ministry, and $80 million goes out. Uh, that was it? Just that sentence? It goes to God. So the money went to God. I hate for these people to think that that money went to waste. Of course. We couldn't have that. Let's just switch gears for a second. Ray Comfort's 8-horsepower solid gold butt plug. It's rumoured that you're in talks for a sharing arrangement with Ray. I don't do that. Well, evidence suggests otherwise. One final question. It's also rumoured that you were once killed by the device and resuscitated using homeopathy. You know, the, the authorities have asked me not to respond. Um, all I can tell you is what's been reported. Can you recall anything of the experience? I don't know if it hurt. Joel Osteen, a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, as far as the tax exempt, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm for it. I think that the church... Obviously, I'm for it, but the church in general, you know, we're keeping people off a drug. So what's the plan? You guys are going to interview me. Yeah, we thought we'd interview you about the podcast. Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, and it's time to meet our guests. Hi, and welcome to the Herd Mentality. Uh, we've never met Adam, and uh, he's never met us, and that's questionable. So I'm going to be questionable day for the beginning of today's show, when to celebrate one year of the Herd Mentality, we're going to be interviewing Mr. Adam Reeks. We've found him on Twitter. What does he do? What are his beliefs? And what's he trying to promote? My co-pilot on today's experiment will be the always popular Ray... Sorry, Ra. <laughs> At Franco Soup. <laughs>
<laughs> not not as railing today. I'm I'm going to be using my grown up voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming along, Ra, and uh, welcome to the show, Adam. Oh, hello. Welcome to my own show. That's very kind of you. Thanks, Dave. You're still going to be doing the heavy lifting of actually recording this, but I will be playing the role of person in charge. Mm. All right. Well, let's see how this pans out. Firstly, uh, oh, I'm not allowed to ask questions, am I? Oh, sure. Ask away. Is this actually one year? <laughs> Because I don't know. I think it started about May last year. Probably. Yeah, with time zones and, you know, we've got GST of 10% and all that sort of stuff. I figure we're about you. All right. No. Fire away. Let's hear it. I found you on Twitter. You're at Adam Ricks, R-E-A-K-E-S. So, Adam, you're a podcast right here. You've got a quite a popular podcast. Why atheism? You could have a podcast on cats. You could have a podcast on how to make cows in your backyard. You can have a podcast on, you know, charity work. Why atheism? Well, that's a, that's a fantastic question, Dave. A podcast on cats isn't really going to change the world. It's not really going to get people to reevaluate their own positions. Or You're not familiar with the work of lolcats? Well, in fact, I am. But why compete against something that's already perfect? So there was no atheism podcast and you figured you'd grab that niche for your own? Absolutely none, in fact. I searched long and hard, couldn't find a single podcast. <laughs> of course there are. Of course there are. And they're growing by the day, which is good. I decided that it was time to do something. It was something that I felt pretty interested in, wanted to learn more about. It's not to say that I'm the be-all and end-all on such a topic. I think Ra described you as the bell-end on the topic, but yeah, <laughs> go on. <laughs> And she is a she is a good judge of character, that lady. You've spoken a little bit about yourself on the podcast as time has come along, and you don't seem to have come from a particularly theistic or, or atheistic background. So perhaps what was the thing that pushed me over the edge? Well, why atheism? Like you, you want to make a difference, and and certainly I think your altruistic efforts from a whole variety of different charitable projects you've had over the last twelve months stand for themselves. But they could equally have been for environmental or for a variety of other social causes. So why atheism? They're equally valid causes. I have an interest in science. I'm not very good at it. I enjoy reading what other people have to say about it. When you've got atheism, there's a whole other series of things that sort of fall into line as a result. Atheists typically, from what I've experienced a conscientious of the environment they treat women as equals they value education they're not afraid to say i'm wrong and these are values that i admire and i wanted to explore more of that and that's why i got into the podcast to find out how other people perhaps do it better than me and learn from that you talk about how you've found atheists to be quite reasonable open-minded skeptical charitable and kind people you do do have theist guests on your show as well. Have you found that to be the same with the people that you've interviewed? Because I think often as atheists, we do have a prejudiced view of theists as being, you know, unkind and close-minded and prejudiced and bigoted. I mean, have you found that to be different in the guests that you've interviewed who have been theists? The guests have been fantastic. So the people who have come on, many of them do have their own charities. Many of them volunteer themselves to what they perceive to be charitable work. And in many cases, that is true. I would argue, however, that there are more efficient ways of providing real aid to those who need it, rather mm -hmm. than filtering it through an organisation such as a church first. Do you think that their faith is a catalyst for this? Do you think that they have a good argument that their faith has been the reason for these benevolent acts? Or would you argue that they would have been kind, wonderful people, regardless of their God delusion. Mm, option B, 
Yeah. Option B, I don't think their faith plays into it very much at all, really. I think they're just inclined in much the same way that probably the three of us are to do good things for other people. But where they attribute credit is where I take issue. So I had one gentleman on, and I think his Twitter handle is at philosophy, Phil Lost Offy. It's a play on the philosophy word. And yes, we're not stupid, Tongo. We get it. No, I know, but, you know, Jesus, there, there might be Americans God. listening to this, right? <laughs> 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 now, he came on, and he was a big fella, a bouncer, openly admits he had a drug addiction. Couldn't have done it without Jesus. So he gave all that credit to God, and I think unreasonably. I think it would have been probably harder in the short term, but better in the long term for him to have acknowledged that he made the change within himself and perhaps with the support network of the people around him. When you look at addiction in particular, it's some of the work that is peripheral to my own actual research is that the rate of recovery from addiction for some 12-step programs, which are faith-based, is around 5%. And for people going cold turkey with no support, is about 5%. So if you're going to do it, then it's probably your willpower is still going to be the major dividing factor because whether you're in a faith-based program doesn't seem to make any difference. So you said you're a fan of science. Both myself and a whole variety of scientists have been very happy you've been on your show. What's your favourite area of science? You're going to laugh at this answer, but I thought if I, <laughs> if it didn't turn out that I was in sales and marketing, I would have loved to have researched quantum computing. And <laughs> please, the, the word quantum, <laughs> I actually try and use it there in the, the real meaningful sense. No one has ever used sales and marketing and quantum together. I don't know <laughs> what you talking about why that would be well that's part of the the 12 step herd mentality program day see (laughs) hello adam (laughs) this is deepak i heard you are interested in quantum i would like to help you with your research just be careful quantum facts has a uh, (laughs) high rate of causing anal cancer (laughs) (laughs) yeah so quantum computing what is quantum computing adam Oh, well, the very little I know about it. See, I've always been interested in computers generally because I was never really allowed... (sighs) Mum, I hope you're listening. I was never really allowed to spend much time in front of a screen and I was fascinated with computers and what they were able to do when I was growing up. So when I was 12, all my school friends at the time, their parents were then buying computers for the family and, you know, they were able to go and do their school assignments on the rest of it. And the best I had was... Dad on the school holidays would bring one of the computers home from the school. So I'd had enough of this and I used my life savings and bought all the pieces for a computer, the CPU, the RAM, the rest of it. And I built this thing and put it all together. It had me hooked, being able to solve a problem. Because when you build a computer yourself, you have to follow a logical line of reasoning to find out where an issue might be. So there might might be an instruction sent to the CPU that then gets shifted to the RAM and there's a timing delay. So it takes an enormous amount of patience to try and to fine-tune it. There was a tangible benefit. If you did a good job, it would become faster or you'd be able to do more with it. At that stage, my interest was playing computer games. The idea of quantum computing is interesting in that with binary, you've got it's either one or zero, so it's either on or off. But a quantum computer is able to process both states at once. And from what I understand of it, it would also harness the power of not only that particular processor, but every processor ever created before it and every processor that will be created in the future. So they're an infinitely fast 
processing device. Look, it was something that I toyed with if I were ever to go on and further my education. That would interest me. Are you finished? Okay. <laughs> oh, fuck, that was boring. <laughs> Jesus fucking oh. Christ. I, mean, I know I'm biased because um, you have emotionally blackmailed me into doing the podcast, and I really do love it, and there will probably be the only time that I admit it. But for me, I think the best and finest moment of the herd mentality is what you did for Godless Woman. And I listened to it again the other day, even though I already know the outcome, which was saying a happy ending as happy as it can be for Iman, I was in tears. That black rock that I call my heart did beat once again, and I was really touched by it. And I think that was your finest moment on, on the home mentality. Is that the same for you, or do you have a, another favourite moment? I think I'd agree with you. It was an opportunity that just happened, so I ran with it. You raised over $10,000 in sort of less than 48 hours. You changed someone's life and you helped someone who's in essence a, a stranger. You know, you, you've never met this lady. You really don't really know anything about her other than the story that she's told you. And you did this amazing thing. You know, as much as I hate to be nice to you... <laughs> I, I, oh, I was just, I was so moved by it. I can't even articulate it now. And so are other people. The people that listen to it today, they still talk about it. Someone else was talking to me about it not long ago. It was such an amazing thing. So I can't even get the words out. I was just so moved by it. And, Eight horsepower, solid gold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I struggle with the butt plug as well. That's going you straight know. to the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that in itself is one of the reasons why you do this well, podcast? Well, yeah. What, now, it puts me in an interesting position where... That's not uh, the first time you said that on the show. <laughs> where, where people... Yeah, exactly. None well, of us. Well, it's, it's almost like that. I mean, you know, Iman wanted to give me some of the money. I had no interest in that. The knock-on benefit for me, and like I barely slept for the time that I'd edited and done the videos and put it all up, but it felt good, and I would like to do more of that in the future. But you've really got to pick your targets, and you've got to pick where you can be effective. So that happened to work quite well. It worked for me. A lot of people listened to the show. It sent a, a nice message out to everyone. You don't have to be anyone special to be able to do something nice. Now, what I've learned subsequently is I tried building a full-size cow to auction off, and I thought, you know, I've put a lot of work into this, and it raised 300 bucks because she never got a holiday. So the months after this, I've been pondering, how can I do this better? How can I actually finish the job? Because I think I said it on the show at the time. We don't want to do a half a job. Any man never got the holiday. So that's in the back of my mind all the time. How can I solve that problem? I love solving problems. It comes back to the computer thing. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. I think I was, we were having some conversations when you were just getting up because you were sitting up the crowdfunding for it and I'd just been doing a crowdfunding thing as well and we were having a couple of conversations and I was just blown away by the amount of time and effort you were putting into it. I guess the thing that struck me out of it was that I've, I've certainly seen a lot of crowdfunding and been involved in myself and it's always something where you have some skin in the game. But as you said, there was nothing in it for you. There was no, no, no one no, 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 no. connected. I, dis I, I disagree. Financially? Financially, no, not in the short term and not in the medium term perhaps. But realistically, <laughs> looking at it, I benefited from this. You know, I put a lot of work into it, but I did benefit from it. I got new listeners to the show, and that's useful to me. Being able to get more people who can listen, who can help in the future if something else like this comes along. So, yeah, I did benefit from this. I think that getting people to listen to your show because they like what you're doing is, um, that to me is a bit inconsequential because you did it and 
you did it for her and it was obviously mm. a crazy time for you and for her and it seems to have settled down as you said there's, there's still things to be done and um, I'm sure you'll come up with something innovative and novel as you you always do hopefully it's um, a Raylenathon. <laughs> uh, not sure what a Raylenathon would be involving but no uh, Dave see like I think you're thinking of the Raylenathon, which is something else entirely <laughs> isn't that just an eclipse <laughs> Partial eclipse, yeah. yeah. It's like the bat signal, but a whale tail appears in the sky from the luminous asshole. Oh, uh, God. And people wonder why I can't tell anyone I know about this podcast. <laughs> so, Adam, is, is there anything you'd like to promote? This seems like a good chance. Oh, y- yes. Any other atheist podcast rather than this one. <laughs> <laughs> Give them, give them. You've all. been on them all, haven't you? I think so, but then that's pretty much you calling the kettle black, isn't it? Well, you know, when you're hosting a show, maybe you can have me on sometime. <sighs> Again. Oh, I knew there was an ulterior yeah. motive for this. Well, Adam, Adam just goes, "Oh man, I, I've lost an internet connection." Dave, can you give me fifteen minutes? Sure. Topic. Invent one. We're all good. <laughs> uh, so, Adam, in the style of Scrubs and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when is going to be the all singing, all dancing herd mentality episode? Oh, an entire musical edition? Yeah, just get all the guests. Like, I'm sure you can find some atheists who are, are singers or musicians of some sort and do an entire episode in song. I'm sure No Illusions would be a good guest for this. He does write mm. and perform all his own music. And yes, he does have his permission. He does have his permission. He also has my permission. I gave him permission for him to use his own music. Everyone would have to record their own pieces and it would just be a logistical nightmare. Even <laughs> even doing something that's relatively simple like uh, a Raygate sketch is not as simple as it sounds when one person's a second and a half behind everyone else. I, I would think that's unlikely, Dave, as much as I would love to be able to do it. And it may one day happen. I have an idea if ever we were to get together for some sort of herd mentality conference. Raygate. <laughs> Why? I think you, you touched on it, but there was a moment in time the Ray Comfort Twitter handle had gone and you whipped something together in a flurry of interpretive juices. At what point did you realise that, well, flogging the dead horse was actually an incredibly successful way to keep people listening to your podcast? Ah... Uh... Ordinarily, I would throw to Ra, but you're, asking, you're directing the question at me. The very first discussion that Ra and I had, most of it never made it to air because we were just speaking on our phones, I think, and I was sitting outside and we were crying laughing. I said, this is so good. So we ran in and probably put too much of it to air and it's pretty tedious to listen back to now. But for international listeners, there's something in Australia that's quite popular when I was growing up. It's a series called The Twelfth Man. And it's one guy who impersonates the voices of a commentary team, a sporting commentary team. He portrays them all as these horrible people. They're all bitter, twisted. Uh, they're all idiots. The artist we're talking about is called Billy Birmingham, and the, the albums he releases are entitled The Twelfth Man. But I thought, why can't we do this? But rather than script it and one person do ten different accents, I can just get different people on, and they can each play a different idiot. <laughs> <laughs> or they can choose how to portray them, and they're all improvised. Like there's no scripting at all. In fact, well, Ra, I I tell a lie. The only time we did script something was when we rapped with yeah. C Web. That was good fun. So we spent quite a bit of time scripting it up, uh, recording our lines, sending it back and forth, getting the timing right. So we had this cracking song that we spent all this time on, and then we recorded the whole thing in about 
20 minutes, 25 minutes. It's just fun, right? You're not going to learn anything there. (laughs) It's just fun. When I took part in my one and only episode, it was hilarious. I was in a glass wall conference room in tears as people walking past (laughs) wondering what exactly I was doing because at the time I was doing quite a few media interviews. So they were just worried that I was talking about the Institute while pissing myself laughing and just your thing was we want a homeologist or a homeopath for something and we'll invent what we want it at the time. Yeah, I had a lot of fun and everyone I know who's had a go has uh, really enjoyed it. So it's it's a bit of a community service. It's sort of it's community theatre of the air. <laughs> it's a boarded up theatre of the mind. Is, uh, Most of the stuff we record can't really go to air. This is just too obscene. Well, it, it, <laughs> that's true. But the only way things are definitely going to air, apparently, is when Ra says, oh, you can't put that to air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I almost tell a lie there. Now, when we do the Raygate sketches, because they're getting shorter, you know, they were doing them a l- little bit more regularly. I sort of set out with this idea in mind of, well, what's topical? Okay, well, vaccines are topical. What's a common misconception? Well, they give you autism. And then when we begin recording one, Ra and I'll sit there in silence for a couple of minutes and go, right, we need a beginning, middle and end. How do we do this? Well, okay, their vaccines have expired, so they've got to get their booster shots. And we just go from there. And we break character, we be silly, we laugh, and then just whatever I can salvage from that hour or so of recording makes it to air. Uh-huh agree with you on you saying that you know it doesn't really offer anything it's just comedy and it's not serious the topics we discuss I think we sort of mock what is really quite ridiculous but if you look at it the things that we do discuss there are lots and lots of people out there who do think like that you know when we did for example with religious tea the pray the gay away episode which was absolutely hilarious but there are people in this world who think that they can do that that they can somehow pray someone's sexuality away and I wonder if okay I understand that the the podcast will be listened to mostly by atheists but I wonder what if someone who is of that kind of mentality did hear it and thought gosh that is fucking ridiculous that I think like this well you know you never know that you might plant the seed it's funny you should say that, Ra, because I've been speaking to somebody who may or may not eventuate on this show whose beliefs were challenged. I just got friendly, chatting on Twitter, said, have a listen to the show, but ignore the Raygate stuff. And she came back to me subsequently and said it was hysterical. And I can't remember what the episode was, but I said, but why was it hilarious? And she said, oh, because Ray actually believes this stuff. I what? think the thing is, I'll interrupt you because it's my show. <laughs> it's actually... As Ra said, it's actually satire. You made a few comments about the only homeopathy sort of episode that I was involved in. It's like every single thing that I said in that is actually a belief of homeopathy. You had all the vaccines and give you the autism. Again, everything in there was actually a belief held by somebody. Dave was talking about you know ridiculous beliefs. I think I tweeted about this last week. I saw someone, not a patient actually, it was um, just a, uh, an acquaintance, and I asked him, I said, oh, what are you doing before university? And he said, oh, I'm going to travel to India for three months. I said, oh, just make sure that you've got your travel vaccines and your anti-malarials all sorted out. And he said, oh, I've got my vaccines because the anti-malarials, uh, well, they can have terrible side effects. I've got myself some homeopathic ones. Okay, well, this is goodbye then. We <laughs> won't see you again. So have a great time. I said, and I'm sure your parents will miss you. 
Mm. And he's going to be traveling to some very remote, very malaria, high-risk areas. And he truly believes that the homeopathic anti-malarials are going to help him. This is a very bright young man who's going to Oxford. Also in the UK, because of the sense about science, of a, a few years ago, about four or five years ago, went to a bunch of homeopaths to say, we're going to these countries and they just prescribed homeopathic vaccines and it was made the news and it had a lot of publicity. It didn't get it in Australia, but it did in the UK. The fact that that's still a thing is just inexcusable. Of course, if he doesn't, if he's very lucky and he doesn't get malaria, much like prayer, he's going to attribute the success of the homeopathic anti-malarials. Mm. And because he's seen as a respected person, his opinion is worth something. And exactly. there'll be a knock-on effect there. So stamp out stupidity, people. Through Ray and Raylene. Yes. I guess thanks for coming on the show, Adam. It's been a little window into your uh, artistic and tortured soul. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure all your viewers would be enlightened by what we've learned about your, your interest in quantum computing. Boring. <laughs> The, the intellectual development that is Ray and Raylene and your plans for an upcoming all singing, all dancing, I'm guessing a live spectacular. <laughs> now, well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Adam. If anyone's interested, you can follow him at, at Adam Reeks, herdmentalitypodcast.com. Yes. May I plug a charity? The charity is kiva.org. So if you've got spare money lying around and you'd like to affect change in the real world by lending money to people who can use it and then repay you, head to kiva.org and you can send away some money and over a period of time it'll be repaid to you which you can then send out as other loans it's beneficial it helps people it's real go and do it so the herd uh, you're up to is it 10 people you've helped through kiva i think so now yes if we didn't want to give our money to worthy causes how would we donate to the herd mentality <laughs> you could head to patreon p a t r e o n dot com slash herd mentality listen to next week's episode when adam is back in charge and i'm sure it will be much more coherent but i'm not putting money on it thanks for having me on dave our pleasure take care goodbye and god bless hey who's who's fidgeting all i can hear down the line is like a microphone rubbing against someone's top or something is that you ra no i'm not wearing a top <laughs> Aruga. I, I think we have the uh, opening line to uh, <laughs> why atheism, and I mean, you want to to make a difference, and there's certainly a lot of lot of other topics. So yeah, I'm just trying to trying to drill down Mike Willisy style into to why atheism. Yes. See, asking questions isn't as easy as it sounds, is it, Dave? <laughs> oh, don't try and glorify this <laughs> podcast, for fuck's sake. Just get on with it. Yes, Well, yes. There's the thing is, like, you know, the, the great part of my ambling question is, you still got to answer them, buddy. So boring. <laughs> okay, guess, guess that won't make the show. <laughs> no, 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 I, 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 I think, think it should make the show. I, I People need it, to have a a bit where they can just walk away and go and make a cup of tea and then come back <laughs> and start listening again. That would be the right spot for it. <laughs> Why did you go into uh, whatever it is that you do, uh Nursing. I was an English teacher before and I got bored. So I thought, how can I combine my two favourite things, like substance misuse and genitals? <laughs> so I thought, <laughs> nursing. <laughs>
<laughs> I mean, never becoming a, didn't consider becoming a priest. No, no, I prefer grown-up genitals. That's why I didn't do pediatric nursing yeah. or become a priest. So why didn't you become um, Charlie Sheen? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, down the line with me, I have Dr. Mel Thompson. How are you, Mel? I'm very well, thank you, Adam. How are you? I'm extra good. Thanks for coming on. You've got a little project. So firstly, where are you from? I'm from the Deakin University Medical School in Geelong in Victoria, Australia. And what are you a doctor of? Oh, I'm a doctor of philosophy, as we like to say. So I'm not actually a medical doctor, but I do work with medical doctors. But I have a PhD in microbiology and I run my own lab now at Deakin. I have three PhD students and an honor student doing various projects. And I've come here to talk to you today about one of those. Excellent. So it's a little Kickstarter, a fundraiser in a similar vein to Dave Hawkes, who came on the show previously to raise money for his virus research. And you've got something called Hips for Hipsters. Talk me through it. I was actually Dave Hawkes' mentor for his project last year because I was part of the original beta testing when we did it this time last year. And I did maggots last year. But this year I'm doing Hips for Hipsters. We are trying to raise funds to look into new antibiotics to treat hip implant infections. Specifically hip implants? Well, I mean, it's not specific to hip implants per se because the bacteria that infect hip implants, such as methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, do infect other wounds. But I work with an orthopedic surgeon and the infectious disease specialist. And so for them, it's actually they focus on the prosthetic joint infections because they're the hardest ones to treat. Mm. Staph is um, present in a rather large portion of the population in our noses, yes. isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. If you've uh, ever been into a hospital for any length of time, you've probably got some, some living up your nose of various levels of antibiotic resistance. But with the hip implants, it's particularly a problem because with the hip implant being put down into the femur, it actually becomes a sort of protected site that doesn't have much access from your immune cells getting in there to try and get rid of the infection. So if you've got a wound on your skin, that's a different environment for the staff to live whereas if it's inside growing in a like biofilm between the hip implant sort of steel the titanium hip implant and your bone in your actual femur that's a protected site and it's very hard to treat in these regions radio antibiotics we're slowly running out of ways to combat it's not that slow actually it's increasing there was a big article in nature a couple of months ago looking at the speed at which bacteria are evolving resistance to the antibiotics we have and when they first came out back in the day you know it took the bacteria maybe 20 years to develop resistance to penicillin the first antibiotic but now the new antibiotics the bacteria are actually getting resistant to them within a couple of years. We can observe that evolution, but there's also a study I read about with cane toads in Queensland. Now, cane toads are a pest in Australia. They were Mm -hmm. introduced to get insects, but then they've gone out of control. They're toxic to the local wildlife if eaten. But the study showed that the further from the source site where they'd been introduced, the bigger the legs were growing on these cane toads and they were able to jump faster. And because the ones that were at the forefront of this advancement into new territory, they were breeding with other cane toads that had also been selectively bred to have longer legs. It's accelerating. That's evolution for you. If your selection pressure as well as iterative selection pressure will do that for you. And in bacteria, they double their number every Every 20 minutes. So we're talking cane toads take a bit longer to breathe than maybe a few weeks. I don't know. I'm not a cane toad specialist, but I can tell you bacteria such as uh, Staph aureus can increase its number, can exponentially double every 20 minutes. So how do you plan to combat this evolution with the bacteria? 
it's very difficult to combat the evolution. You have to basically do lots of multidisciplinary studies looking at that. You've got to take different approaches. And one of the approaches I use in my lab is to target the metabolism of the bacteria so that you're actually sort of starving it and then knock it out with antibiotics that you would normally use, but you slow it down first. So there's sort of combination therapies that may be better than individual therapies by themselves. There's sort of all that. We're trying to think smarter than the bacteria. And frankly, we've got brains. Bacteria don't, so we should be able to come up with something. Unfortunately, the bacteria have incredibly elegant systems of evolving and expressing genes in situations that are new to them. They have this thing called phase variation where they express different phases of different genes in a population of 10 to the 8 bacteria. And so whatever situation they come across, some of that population will always survive. Gotcha. One quick question. If titanium is a a medium that lends itself to breeding bacteria, why not coat these implants with, say, silver, which is antibacterial? So they are doing that as well. The problem you have is with implants is that you have to make the implant amenable to bone growth because it needs to graft with the bone. And so it has to have a surface area to allow osteoblasts, which are the cells that make bone, to bind to the implant so that it actually fuses with your, say, your femur, so that it becomes part of you and you can use it as a normal joint. That obviously also increases the surface area for things like bacteria, who also like that. They are definitely looking at antimicrobial coatings. A biofilm, it has this sort of um, glycocalyx, it's called, a sort of like exploded bacteria with the DNA spewing out and sort of sugar, sugary, syrupy. It's really quite sticky and syrupy. And once that's out there and coating the implant, that basically stops anything from underneath happening. I know that I've suggested to some of my colleagues at the uh, Monash Institute of Pharmacology that they should actually design coatings where you can actually open and shut the little liposomes containing antimicrobial compounds in, say, an MRI machine so that you can actually stick the patient in the MRI machine, open the liposomes, allow a little spurt of antibiotics to come out and fight from underneath, but then close them again for another week and then come back and do it again and do it weekly until the sort of six-week danger period of forming a biofilm um, actually passes. That's really clever. Stop. Well, that you know, that's what I do, mate. That's I'm a, <laughs> I do get paid to think for a living and that's one of my thoughts that I've had. But people just look at me like I'm crazy at the moment. But the, the people I was talking to currently do near-infrared liposome-activated sort of nanotechnology for macular degeneration in the eye. And obviously... It's easier to shine uh, a near-infrared light into someone's eye than it is to access a hip implant because the hip is right inside and inside the femur. You actually need something a little bit more more powerful like an MRI machine. Mm, Or a circular saw. All of this stuff takes money. Yep. How can we give you money? Oh, you can give me money. You can go to my site, which is possible.com slash hips4, as in the number four hipsters, and make a pledge. It's open until the 18th of June. And if we don't get our target, it's an all or nothing prospect. If we're short 50 bucks, we don't get any of the money. And I think I'm asking for $11,700. Where are you at the moment? I think we're at about just over three and a half. So we're starting to get to the point where we're like, ooh, starting to panic. But right. uh, We need to crank it up because this sounds like it's the sort of research that would benefit quite a lot of people. Well, With, would, with an aging would. population <laughs> like we have in Australia, we're going to need more and more Well, that's it. And, it. and it's called Hips for Hipsters because I really worry, you know, I, I teach medical biotechnology students, you know, 19-year-old medical biotechnology students, and I come back from the meetings at the hospital where they've said, 
we tried this and we tried this and we tried this and we just had to take the hip out and this person's now without a hip. And I just come back and think, wow, that's going to be more often with these 19-year-olds because by the time they get to needing hips when they're, you know, 80, Mm. I don't think we're going to have many antibiotics left that will actually be effective against these bacteria. We need to start getting the drugs sorted now. But unfortunately, because of what I said about bacterial evolution speeding up and basically the bugs just getting quicker and quicker at beating everything we throw at them. Big pharmacology, big pharma companies aren't really interested in funding this research because it takes 15 years to get something to market. If the bacteria beat it within two, they haven't got their return on investment. So they just go, we'll just go and cure cancer instead. Very well. So the site is possible, P-O-Z-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash hips number four hipsters. Dr. Mel, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much. Fighting crime, protecting the innocent, poorly funded but equipped with critical thinking, he is the champion of reason. It was around 11 o'clock at night and I was on my way home with a couple of drinks under my belt. I was passing by St. Bernard's Church and I was feeling pretty good. And I felt even better after I'd passed the church like I might have felt had I passed a square kidney stone. All of a sudden, I heard someone call my name. Psst! Questionable Adam! I looked around but didn't see anyone. Then I heard the voice again. It was the voice of a man and he called my name. Questionable Adam! Over here! Well, I knew it wasn't St. Bernard because, well, he was long dead. I was confident it wasn't a voice in my head as I'd been cleared by the psychiatrist several months ago. The unseen man said that he was behind a tree and it became clear to me that he was referring to a big oak tree that was beside the church. I had to be careful, of course, so I kept a safe distance as I staggered around the other side of the tree. And I saw a man leaning against the old oak. He was wearing a mask like that worn by villains in old cowboy movies and a cape that would make Batman weep. I jumped back and asked him who he was. He stood straight up, but in a non-threatening way. And even though it was dark, I could see he had the big letter R on a white t-shirt. Don't tell me you're the champion of reason, I said in a state of shock. Well, I'm certainly not going to tell you that I'm the Pope. It was really him, the champion of reason. I knew all about the thinking man's superhero with no superpowers, who had gone underground, metaphorically speaking, because of death threats from the Westboro fundamentalists waving placards saying... God hates sensible people. The religious leaders making the threats and offering rewards said that the champion of reason, whom some of them had dubbed the champion of treason, could run but could not hide. Well, so far, the champ had been doing a pretty good job of hiding. What do you want from me, champ? I asked, although I felt like asking him what I could do for him, for he was the man, the sword-wielding caped crusader who crashed a science class at Adelton High, where they were being taught that creationism was an alternative theory to the hypothesis of evolution, and at the time proceeded to say to the class, Think a little more objectively and a little less subjectively. Evolution is known. It is known to those who have examined the evidence. Religious people who say otherwise don't have knowledge. They only have strong beliefs. There are a lot of people telling you to believe this or believe that. I'm not telling you to believe anything. All I'm saying is, be reasonable. I continued, to what do I owe the honor? I have listened to podcasts of the herd mentality, and I like what I've heard from you. I need you to get messages out. 
but protect my anonymity. But why me? Why not? Is that a good reason? It's not a bad reason. Listen, I thought I made some inroads, but it's still very much an uphill battle against religious fanatics and other fools who want to return us to the Dark Ages with religion reigning over science. The fools are still running the show, and reasonable people are still greatly outnumbered and need to unite. It has been about 2,500 years since the Greeks started, or at least get credit for having started, the scientific method. The peddlers of nonsense need to be challenged and asked some serious questions, but they also need to be pressed to respond rationally. So some athlete thanks God after winning the big game, and the announcer moves on to some other nonsense rather than asking if he or she really believes that God roots for their team and intervened in such a way to help his, God's, favorite team win. For God's sake, why don't they ask if they think that God wears a team jersey? Well, they'd get fired for asking a question like that. Yes, they would. But it shouldn't be that way, at least not from a rational point of view. Look, I can't disagree. Good. Well, I've achieved my goal here tonight by sounding you out. It sounds like we're on the same page. I'll contact you when the need arises. The champion handed me a note, a hastily scribbled map on the back of a receipt for a saddle with the words Location Omega next to a wonky X. Then as he walked away with his cape hanging behind him almost to his knees, and to my surprise he mounted an expertly camouflaged horse with a cry of, Hi-yo, Argento! Away! I knew that it wouldn't be the last time we'd meet. Herd Mentalists, Questionable Adam here from the year 2074, contacting you via prayer which has just been scientifically proven to work. It's quite simple, really. People in 2014 just weren't trying hard enough. This is just a quick note from the future to the listeners in the past to thank them for their support of the show. Susan, Jim, Pete, Andrew and Katrina have helped both past questionable Adam, as well as Maria in Honduras and Josiane in Rwanda by making a small pledge per episode at patreon.com slash herdmentality. 10% of the proceeds from the show go to kiva.org to help women in developing countries. So thank you all. I must run. All of this prayer is exhausting. I'll contact you soon. <laughs>